0: It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blends All, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, and Fly Racing. Welcome, everybody. It is Sunday morning. This is Industry Seating. I am Jason Thomas. And, uh, well, we finally have some news. I don't know if uh, it'll actually happen, but things certainly are moving forward after a few weeks of speculation and uh, mostly just waiting. Uh, News broke Uh, Friday and Saturday. There was several calls made around to, to all the teams and a lot of people in the sport with a new concept to, uh, to go back racing earlier than expected. So we'll certainly get into that. We actually recorded a podcast myself, Steve Matheson, Jason Wygant, which will come out. I'm assuming Monday morning usually is the the time frame for that, that specific podcast where we go into it a little bit more in depth, but I want to cover it here just in case, but, uh, certainly changes there kind of out of the blue, um, but I, I want to thank the sponsors first of this podcast, uh, Pirelli Tires. Thanks to them for coming on board. And uh, honestly, one of the biggest, I guess, silver linings of this whole coronavirus epidemic has been that people have been riding. And whether, you know, that's encouraged or not or recommended, you know, every state's different in what's allowed and what's not. People have been out riding either way. So that if, if you want to find one positive, it's that people have had more time and, and more of an opportunity to go riding in the past month than I've probably ever seen. So that's a good thing. It definitely helps smaller businesses that are in, you know, like, uh, let's say Pirelli works connection, uh, all these brands that, uh, they depend on people getting on riding, right, protecting their bikes, upgrading their bikes. Um, so definitely want to, uh, encourage people to ride where it's safe to. I have not been able to get out and ride yet. I really want to. Actually, you know what? That's a lie. I rode for that Tiger King uh social media video we did, which was fun. I rode a 1979 uh Elsinore CR250. First time I'd ever ridden a vintage bike, actually. So that was a good time. So I actually got to ride too. But um, you know, many of these sponsors, whether it's Premier Vapor Blasting, uh Pirelli, Works Connection, uh Blends All Oils they're all dependent, you know, fly racing, everybody's dependent on customers getting out and taking advantage of the opportunity they have to ride and, you know, spending their money with businesses that absolutely need it. So I want to thank everybody, Plum Creek Funding as well, uh, and I'll get into more of those sponsors in a little bit, but let's jump right into this, uh, this development. Um, many of you have probably heard a little bit about it, right? It's been rumored, um, it's on message boards, Steve Mathis tweeted about it. But this, this broke, and everybody's kind of been reeling since then as far as the ripple effects. Can this actually happen? How would it happen? Uh, because really, there aren't hard details yet. I, I don't think they have determined or been told by uh, the governor of Arizona what's allowed and what's not. From what I understand, the tentative plan would be to run seven rounds all inside uh, the stadium there, the, you know, uh, Arizona Cardinals football stadium where we race now in Glendale, they would run all seven rounds, two per week. And then there would be one on the last week, which would end. So they would get all seven. It would begin May 15th and run through June 5th. And they would, it would basically be on a Friday, Monday schedule. And that's tentative. There's nothing locked in there, but that's, what's being proposed right now. So That's the basics. There are so many questions that arise from just that little bit of info that we have. Uh, We we certainly talked about this yesterday on the group podcast we had, but just to kind of recap my specific questions are, A, is this really going to happen, right? Are, Are we going to continue a downward trend in the states that are needed? Obviously, Arizona being the case in this one, where the governor of Arizona's going to be willing to put an event like this on, right? Is he going to be willing to take a chance in being one of the first sports to let anyone gather? And does that mean fans? Does that mean not? Just the whole concept itself where no one's allowed to do anything. That's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see and time will tell if that actually plays out because, you know, we're a little less than a month away from that. And if you were trying to make a prediction on how this was going to go a month prior to now, keep in mind a month prior from now, we were just, we had just left the Indianapolis weekend where we thought we'd be racing right away. And, and you know, that one race got canceled, but we did not think it was anything to this level of serious where the, the series was basically done until further notice. So it's to me, it seems very problematic to make hard plans, for a month from now, because everything's moving so fast. You know, they have these white house briefings and, uh, science is moving quickly and you're getting just so much information thrown at you from every direction. And a lot of it conflicts, you know, there a lot of it's politics, right? There's a lot of that going on, but just the science isn't always a hundred percent in agreement with a report that came out the day before. So, what's to be believed, who's doing the right thing. You know, uh, Florida opened their beaches this weekend, right, which is controversial for a lot of people. And you're seeing certain states enact things differently than other states, right? Michigan's on full lockdown and their governor's threatening all kinds of things. Uh, California's, they're enforcing $1,000 penalties and up to six months in jail if you're found outside of your house. I mean, there's some crazy things going on around the country. But the biggest thing from this is that it seems like it's going to be very state driven and the governors are going to have, maybe not the final say, I know there's some argument going on with that, but they're going to have a big say of what can happen in their state and what can't. So certainly that drives the moral likeliness of having all rounds in one state, because if the governor of Arizona gives a green light, then that's all they need, right? My question's I guess begin and how likely is this? Um, that was the first thing I thought of. Is okay. That's a you know great rumor and great plan, but are, is this like a we're doing this or is this hey let's this is proposed, but who knows? So yesterday, lots of teams, all the teams were were contacted. Lots of sponsors were contacted. There are there are a lot of teams that think this is happening. They're they're moving forward. They're making plans. Uh, they're going to act as if this is locked in and going. Uh, I, I think you have to, if you're a team, you basically have to address it that way because you can't get caught flat footed. If it does indeed happen, you have to basically prepare for it to happen and keep in mind all these teams and riders as of a week ago, they were, they were hundred percent preparing to go racing outdoors, whether it's June 13th or June 20th. And that would have been their first race of the season. As far as this restart of the sport so they were preparing outdoor parts and preparing all these things. Uh, the riders were all training for outdoors, riding outdoors. And you know, the, the teams and riders and all that stuff, all the, the backend support, they have to prepare certain parts for certain races, right? So they're building outdoor suspension and, uh, all the things that are different about the bike. They're, they're getting all that stuff ready, ordering parts, you know, uh, from sponsors and all that stuff. So now, they're being asked to pivot back the other way to get ready for supercross in three weeks. So it's, it's crazy times. Uh, I can't imagine the logistics talk that's going on right now, but again, I have way more questions than I have answers. Um, You know, this whole plan certainly seems like it was modeled after major league baseball because Rob Manfred came up with a plan to have all of the baseball teams, basically hunker down in Phoenix and they would separate into two leagues, which sound like it'd be cactus and grapefruit. And they would play all their games in Phoenix. They would stay in mandated hotels. They would not be allowed to get out and fraternize or, and you know, take a chance of uh, exposing themselves to coronavirus outside of the groups they were already in. Um, Which is all great. That's fine. I understand them wanting to find a plan that's able to be executed. That makes sense. But keep in mind, that sport has a, a union, right? So they can all get together. They can have their union representatives. They can have the, the league get together and make a plan that everyone signs off on. And contractually, they have to follow it. That's not the case for our sport. So to think it's just going to go as smoothly where everybody's going to fly into Phoenix, right? And, and there's talk of how limited, the you know, who can go, who can't. So, everyone's going to fly into Phoenix and race over a three-week period. We're going to get seven rounds in. Well, there isn't a union to mandate the rules, right? So, legally, if Eli Tomac wanted to fly in and out, right? He if Say we race Friday, Monday. On Tuesday morning, if he wanted to fly back home and be home Tuesday, Wednesday, and then fly back to Phoenix on Thursday, I don't know how you tell him he can't legally do that. You know, we don't have we don't have the union there to create bylaws or amend contracts to, to force that. So it just seems very problematic. Um, I've heard that they have looked into, you know, checking the temperatures of everyone in and out riders, you know, the mechanic, whoever's allowed in the actual stadium. It just, I just see so many difficulties arriving or arising from this plan again, I'm all for it. If, if this is the way we need to go about it and this is the best thing for the sport, sign me up. I mean, we're obviously all desperate for some racing. It's, it's not about that. I'll I'll take any racing I can get. I just wonder big picture. Is this the best plan? Selfishly for me, I would prefer the September, October schedule and the outside chance that we could have limited fans there. I don't know how realistic that's going to be. You know, we're talking three, four months from now. Like I said earlier, predicting what was going to be happening a month ago, impossible, right? So who knows what the country looks like, the state of this virus looks like, any of that looks like three or four months from now. I would rather do it that way. You know, originally I was kind of happy about that plan because it would be some sense of normalcy, even if we ran, you know, two rounds in one city and then moved on to the next city. I just like that more traditional type championship. And even if you had to do social distancing in the stands and, and there were some pretty serious limitations about how you could execute it, I just think it would be cool to do it in that time frame, a different time of the year. Um, it would shorten the off season. There were just a lot of things I liked about it. Obviously for fly racing too, being able to be involved would have been really cool now the way this looks if you can't have fans you have very limited people there i don't see how any sponsors will be able to be involved at all they probably won't be allowed to even be at the event so that certainly takes away some value for sponsors and and changes the aspect of what that looks like so there are a lot of things to walk through there i'm sure that was all brought up as far as how how are the sponsors going to view this and all that stuff and then you have for the riders on their side, they've been pushing for this kind of this plan. And I don't want to say this exact plan, but really they've wanted to get supercross done before they switched to outdoors. So I think that's been a big part of it as the teams and riders asking for some sort of thrown together plan to get this done and clean before we moved into outdoor racing. And if this happens, they get their way. Right. Um, yeah, I think the biggest challenge with the September, October plan was, venues, uh, first, all these concerts, sports, everything that got canceled and postponed in the right now, all the way through summer is going to try to get there. The first open dates are going to try to get back in there. So that was obviously proving problematic to get those venues in September and October. And then also I'm sure they were battling for TV time for the same reasons you're running into football season, assuming there is a football season, Does baseball push late, right? Their normal season is September, so certainly they're going to be playing games. Uh, But every sport and every – basically any type of venue event is going to be all vying for that same TV time and same venue space. So it certainly had to be problematic to pull off that. But I think think they could have found a way. But, again, if they can knock all these out in three weeks – and fulfill their contracts and everything's done they get to crown the champions it seems like it would be i guess lesser of two evils if you want to put it that way so some of the questions i have just you know off the cuff when i first heard this my mind was going a thousand miles an hour trying to think of how they would pull this off first who's allowed in and preliminary allowances would basically be one rider one mechanic and possibly some sort of team owner team manager and that's that's it from what i'm hearing um i think that feld posed the question to the teams as far as okay what is the absolute bare minimum you can you can take to the race to pull the race off and i'm not talking a man friend or your dad or your wife i'm talking what do you need to have a safe motorcycle obviously the rider and go racing like what because it's going to be down to the number, right? And it sounds like what they're going to have to do is get the numbers from the teams, the, the people that are going to be allowed to race. And that's another question too, is who's going to be allowed to sign up and who's not? Because when they take this number to the governor and say, okay, this is the number of people, period, whether it's 290 or 400, whatever that number is, They're going to have to go to the local government and propose the number and say, this is what we have. This is what we're bringing in. Not one person more. This is what we're going racing with. And once that's signed off on, I'm sure they're not letting anybody else in, right? The last thing they can afford to do is let it slip away from them and people, there are more people there and they get shut down. So the question that I've heard posed is let's get a hard number that we can take and go propose that with. And do they let privateers sign up? I don't know. Is it the top 22 in points? I don't know. You know, those are all things that are going to have to be brought up. Uh, I don't know. Feld's position on that. I have not spoken to them about it, but with the limitations they're probably facing, I can see them limiting signups, right? Maybe they take the top, you know, anybody that scored a point can, can sign up or maybe they just run main events, right? You have your qualifying races, but it's, an invitational type race where they have the qualifying races, but it's more for gate pick. It seems problematic to me with as many people that would love to go racing right now. If they just open it up for normal signups and you have typically, you probably get anywhere from hundred to 130 riders signing up. So now you double that because everybody needs a mechanic. So now you're 200 to, you know, 260 just between riders and mechanics, that seems like a, an awful big number to me when you're really trying to limit the exposure and you know that the go no go could be based on that very number. That was what ended up shutting Indianapolis down, you know, go back a month ago. They just couldn't pull the race off. There were too many people that are needed to execute the race between flaggers and television people and, and, administration staff and riders mechanics. It was just, it was impossible. They could not do it. So I don't know. That's, that's a really tough question. And I'm sure they're going to get blowback either way, right? If they start limiting the amount of people that are allowed to even attend the race, how can you even, how can you argue it right They're They're just trying to find a way to finish the series. But if you're a privateer, that's a tough pill to swallow, right? Because this is their way of making money, this is their income stream, and they've been patiently waiting to get back to the races to go make money. And if they're told now that they can't, that would be really, really difficult. Um, But at the same time, like I mentioned, you can't blame Feld because all they're trying to do is get a green light to hold the race. And uh, I just can't imagine the hard decisions that are gonna have to be made in the interim. So we'll see how that all goes, but that was one of my immediate questions is, Who's allowed in, who's not right. Same thing for media. Um, myself, you know, obviously I'm doing this podcast I qualify for media, but also with sponsorship, right. Our uh, fly racing and Western power sports are a big sponsor of the series. I don't know that we'll be allowed to go. Will media be allowed to go, you know, would Steve Mathis or Jason Wigand or just take your pick of any of the major media members, uh, that's going to add numbers to it, but you also, if you're felled, you want the series to be covered. You know, you need someone to share the message of the series and what happened at the race and all that stuff. That's a, a very big part of the sport. So how does that all get addressed? Are there just concessions made where, okay, these five media people are granted access and they all have to social distance and they have to be separated from each other just to make sure that we get the news out there, you know, that I could see that happening too. But again, that's adding more people to the overall number, which is a negative thing. So like I started this podcast off logistically trying to work through all of these individual questions has to be a nightmare. And, and I'm just one person sitting in Idaho who is not involved in the process coming up with random questions that I can't really provide answers for. So think about all the questions I don't know. Think about all the staffing, getting people there. Feld has they you know furloughed or laid off most of their staff, right? 90%. So now they have to crank that machine back up and be ready to hold a race in 3 weeks. That seems difficult. I know they're saying they can do it. That's why they're proposing this plan. But that can't be easy, right? Because I know just to hold a race, to hold a supercross race. They have 18 semi trucks that go to each round and maybe they can lower that number going this route, the way we're going about it. But I can't imagine it's by a lot, you know, stay it's 10 semi trucks. You've got drivers and everything has to be prepared to go racing again. There's just so many ripple effects to this plan that have to happen very, very quickly, uh, booking flights. I can't imagine that any rider or team member is going to be super excited about jumping on a plane right now. I'm pretty aggressive, I guess, is the best word in that aspect. Like I would do it if, um, you know, I was allowed to go to the race. I would, I would fight a Phoenix. I'm I'm not scared of it per se. You know, my, my risk level, as far as having heavy complications, if I did indeed contract uh, COVID-19 is pretty low. I certainly don't want it. But, you know, I would wear my mask and wear gloves and do all those things to try to prevent it. But I would be willing to do it. But a guy like Ken Roxon, who has been at the very forefront of protection on this, and for good reason, he has uh, some immune system difficulties, right? He, his, his immune system is suppressed and he's more susceptible to something like this. So how's he going to feel about it? The good thing for a guy like Kenny is financially he could... He probably wouldn't want to, but he could fly private if he wanted to. He financially has the means, and and HRC Honda has the means to fly those guys private if they absolutely had to. Same thing for Tomac. You know, there are a few guys that could afford it that they wouldn't have to subject themselves to, uh, you know, main airports or terminals or uh, commercial flying and all the all the difficulties that would surround that. So that's a very uh, niche, <laughs> uh, qualification those guys have financially, but all the other riders, if you're not going to drive there, you're going to have to jump on a plane and mechanics. And, and if any media is allowed and all the staffing for fell, they're going to have to jump on planes. So it's going to be something else to watch. How does this all play out? Because to me, it's, it's easy at the beginning to say, yeah, we got it. The governor's going to let us do it. This is the plan. We're going to knock all these races out and let's get it done. And you start working through all of the things to actually execute that. And you just come up with difficulty after difficulty and and maybe they're able to be worked around. I have no idea, right? I'm not involved in any of that, nor should I be, but I can certainly identify some, some problems along the way that they're going to have to work through, uh, I kind of addressed this earlier, but I had a note here. How does this work for all the sponsors, right? So Monster, Western Power Sports, um, just go through all the, you know, um, Cooper tires. There there are, Cooper is still a sponsor? I can't remember. Uh, But there are a ton of just outside sponsors that spend big money to be a part of this series. Toyota, you just go down the list of all these companies that are in the pits. They're great supporters of the series. And, you know, there are, agreements made between Feld and these sponsors for activation, fan engagement, all those things. And if this plan goes through with no fans, that's that's out the window, right? So they're only going to be receiving the television promotion. Commercials, uh, hay bale covers or tough blocks, excuse me, covers on the track, banners on the side of the stadium, which that's great. I mean that's better than nothing. That's better than <laughs> Better than sponsors are getting at the moment, which is literally zero because there is no racing, but is not it isn't what is in the letter of the contract either. So I don't know how that's all going to be worked out. What I would assume will happen is each contract is a little different. The responsibility on Feld's side is a little different for each deal. And they're obviously based on financial considerations that's going to have to be an individual conversation with each sponsor. Okay. You were promised this, your, you know, the, the compensation in return for that is, is X. How do we find a solution where everybody leaves the table feeling like feeling satisfied or feeling that they, everyone got a a proper end to this contract. And I don't know the answer to that. Everybody's deal is a little bit different, but I, I think in the end, everyone's going to be willing to be flexible because it's for the best of the sport. Uh, there are always ways to maybe give the you know give the sponsors more value in the 2021 season when hopefully it looks a little bit more normal than this. That's what I, I would bet is if there have to be, uh, you know, there, there just isn't an ability to get all that, that fan engagement and have these open pits where it's just this bonanza of sharing, you know, sponsor message with fans, which is why we're all there as a sponsor. In 2021, I think Feld's just going to have to be really creative as to how to add value and maybe make up for it a little bit. So, you know, no, I don't think anyone knows how that looks yet. Sponsors, nor Feld, nor anyone. Uh, it's just another... Difficulty or workaround that everyone's going to have to come to an agreement on. Uh, so, I'm going to get into <laughs> I've been doing these st- stories each week, right? And it's been pretty fun for me. And I, I've had g- really great feedback from all of you out there listening, as far as just <laughs> listening to me rambling and, and laughing along with me. And I'll get into another one today, but I want to talk about the sponsors a little bit. So, Pirelli, again, they were, like I said, they were the first sponsor on board and uh, just. Oh, Josh Whitmire and the crew over there, a debt of gratitude to them. And, uh, again, if you're, if you're going to get out there and go riding, obviously, and, and I'll be perfectly honest, tires for me were always something I was really picky about and tire pressure, even more so. And if I go riding now, half the reason I don't like riding other people's bikes is because they have some tire that I, I'm not familiar with and I don't trust it. And that's, that's a big thing for me is just traction all the time. So there isn't a better way to make sure that you're hooked up than uh, putting a new set of Pirellis on your bike. Blends all oils. Uh, David Schloss and the crew over there, uh, he actually sent me a coffee mug this week, so I was pumped on that. But they're running a special right now. If you buy any case of oil, you get a free T-shirt. So the promo code is free tea, no space, just free tea in the promo code area, and you will get a free T-shirt with any case of oil. So check that out. It's pretty cool. This whole... Uh, urge for everyone to get out and ride with all the free time. I've seen more two strokes getting <laughs> refurbished and getting out there and ridden than, than ever before, which is really cool with that tiger King thing. I rode a two stroke and I think blends all that's really where they made their mark as far as the moto community is as their two stroke product. So please check that out and, and support small business, Plum Creek funding. Uh, I talked to Zach a little bit uh, yesterday, and the the market's been all over the place. The rates have been up and down, and he's trying to wrap his head around it a little bit as all this is constantly changing. He said it stabilized a little bit this week, and uh, he did some refinance deals this week and got people locked in at 3.25%, and that's, that's crazy low. Um, I refinanced in 2017 with uh, Zach's guidance and I got down to 4% which I was really happy about but now it's down to even obviously in the threes and 3.25% so it's a great time if you're in the market for that whether to buy or refinance even if you just have questions and want to talk to Zach reach out to him his phone number is 720-212-4685 and his Instagram is at Plum Creek Funding he can at least give you some ideas as far as what's a good idea what's not you know, obviously, a lot of that depends on where you're at in your your mortgage, how many years you have left, what your current rate is. There's there's a lot of variables there, but he can make sense of all that for you and give you some uh, some direction. Uh, Works Connection, uh, they've stood by this podcast, and I really appreciate it. Eric Phipps, those guys have been around forever, and it's funny, you know, when he agreed to come on board, I went back and was just thinking about what does Works Connection mean to me and my first memories of it, and I can remember. Steve Lampson running it and all the frame guards and everything and to see where it came from then to where it is now. And just the catalog of parts they have for every motorcycle out there and all the teams they are associated with, it's truly a success story. So it's, it's awesome to be a part of. And as I said, most of the sponsors of this podcast have something to do with upgrading your bike or maintaining it. And works connection falls exactly into that American company, Uh, So, please check it out. I guarantee you, if you go on worksconnection.com, you're going to see something on there that you had no idea they made. Uh, We've been talking, Eric and I have been talking about continuing to tell people about the Pro Launch Start device. That thing works awesome. I used it for years in my own racing. Uh, I whole shotted the 2004 Hangtown, first moto at Hangtown 2004 with a Works Connection Pro Launch Start device. So, uh, the things work, and I would just encourage you to go check out worksconnection.com, even if you're not in the market to buy anything, right? You don't want to spend any money today. I guarantee you're going to see something that when it is time to buy, you're going to learn about it and be like, oh, yeah, okay, when it's time, I'm going back there, and I'm going to buy it. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia. I saw another project that they had just finished on their Instagram during the week this week, and... Seriously, I know that I say this every every week, but it blows me away how much of a change they can make on especially like older parts that people are restoring bikes or just, you know, they pull, they're pulling them out of the garage and getting them ready to ride now that winter's over and the, the weather's changing for a lot of the country. It's 65 today here in Boise, so I'm certainly in that group. But check out their uh, check out their Instagram premier premier vapor blasting and I guarantee you it's going to blow your mind at what's possible. As far as restoration, if you mentioned industry seating with those guys, you get twenty five percent off. So that's a great deal. I appreciate them uh, them helping out our our listeners. And then finally, Fly Racing. Obviously, you guys all know I work there. Uh, we're doing an Instagram giveaway right now. If you buy qualifying items, you get something free, which I have been executing on the back end. I check the social media. I do all that stuff and work with. The team to get those items out. So I've been hand, very hands on with that program. And then if you go on or go to a local dealer or go on an online retailer, most everything in our catalog is 10% off and that's up to the dealer to execute, but we've been certainly encouraging that. And you can, you can find it almost everywhere in the industry right now. So go check out fly racing and maybe you'll learn something. If you go to uh, formula.flyracing.com, there is a ton of information there on our new formula helmet. Uh, and obviously right now I think everybody has more time than they've ever had as, you know, just to watch things you haven't seen before or listen to podcasts or read because for many of us we're working from home or, and and I get it. A lot of people are having to homeschool their kids, which has been from friends I've talked to has been very challenging between balancing work. And now you're a homeschool teacher as well. But, um, Yeah, if you get a chance, check out Fly Racing, check out formula.flyracing.com and and learn about all the research and innovation we did over there. So, story time. Um, I was kind of thinking this morning, what should I talk about? You know, a lot of these have been just crazy times and a lot of just bad people that burned me for money and whatever. And I wanted to do one that was a little bit more upbeat and didn't have some sort of negative tone or... I didn't. End, I didn't end up coming out on the bad side of it, and many of you will remember. But in 2004, we all filmed, and I say we all, a lot of us in the the industry were a part of this Supercross the movie project. And okay, let's start with the movie didn't <laughs> didn't do very well. I was looking at the uh, the box office numbers today, and I think it made a little over three million at the box office. And I saw two different numbers for budget. One said nine million, and another said thirty million. That's a pretty big gap. So, needless to say, it looks like it lost money either way. But you know, my first recollection rec- recollection of that movie was I think Friday, either Thursday or Friday of Vegas. I don't think I knew anything about it before then. Maybe I did, but I remember being asked if we wanted to be a part of it. And I think it was on press day on Friday. And the initial just offering was, Hey, we we need riders because they couldn't get the factory guys to do it. Because what was going to happen is we're going to race Saturday, normal deal, practice Friday, race Saturday. And then we would film Sunday afternoon we had the banquets Sunday night, so they understood if we had to leave. Then film Monday, and then film Tuesday, and then probably wrap late Tuesday night. So that was the, the first offer that we got from the production company. So we talked. I was on uh, Subway Honda at the time, and it was myself, Joe Aloff, and Clark Styles. And it was the end of Supercross, and uh, they offered us, I believe it was a thousand dollars after taxes. So I was in, yeah, Mike, all right, I'll do it. Um, you know, we get to be in a movie, which was cool. Spend a few extra days in Vegas, which you don't really have to push me very hard to do that. I love Vegas and make an extra thousand bucks. I'm in no problem. So we go through the weekend race. I think I got, what did I get? I think I crashed in the main event. I didn't do all that well, maybe 15th or something and, uh, go out and have a great time. You know, it's, always the Saturday night after the final supercross race, everybody's ready to blow off some steam and play some blackjack or whatever. So I remember getting out to the track on Sunday, we had a a noon call time on Sunday and I was struggle street as were most people. And uh, they let us ride basically get everybody familiar with the track and they were, they were filming B roll. Like it wasn't specific to anyone. They were just kind of filming everyone riding that they could cut into these scenes. So we're all just out there riding. Then they would tell us to stop. They would move cameras, watch their, what they had filmed, see what else they needed. Then we'd ride some more. So I'm just like, you know, I'd raced on Saturday and I'm had had a f- more than a few beverages on Saturday night. So I'm sweating bullets out here on Sunday afternoon out here, jumping triples. And I don't know why I was riding so hard, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I knew anything else, but to just go for it. And finally, we're like, okay, you know, everyone that has to go to the banquet, um, you're excused, you know, if if you're not going to the banquet, which there were a ton of privateer guys there that just had no reason really to go to the banquet. They were staying, uh, they were staying out there and they were going to film that night, Sunday night to begin some of the night scenes. So I left, went to the banquet. Um, we had a really good time. Obviously the bank was always cool. And then Monday we had kind of the same thing. So uh, we were staying. I remember we were staying at the Tropicana. Uh with myself, Joe, and and Clark Styles decided to share a room for um, Monday night and Tuesday night. So you know, just cut down on costs and and obviously we we're we were staying to make money. So we get back out there Monday, and Monday really got more into what was going to happen as far as what we needed to film and specific scenes there were they were filming the talking scenes with the you know the big shot actors that came in because they weren't there on sunday sunday just seemed like more of like all the b-roll with as many writers as they could get so monday we we finally get to meet guys like channing tatum and steve howie and mike vogel and cameron richardson and sophia bush and now they're pretty big deal like all of them um they went on to all kinds of big projects obviously channing tatum's a huge star but even guys like mike vogel were in lots of movies i watched afterwards steve howie is on shameless you know so there are a lot i think he was on a big show on on the wb also i can't remember the name of it but they're a big deal now and and i just remember how cool all of those guys were and ladies, um, the only one that really wouldn't talk to us was Sophia Bush. She just seemed like she was, I don't know, I don't think she just didn't care. She didn't want to make friends. Uh, she was. She would come onto set, be reading her lines with uh, headphones in, and I think the headphones were just to, to basically tell people not to talk to her. And then she would shoot her scenes, and then she would be gone, back to her trailer. Everybody else was wanted to hang out and talk about racing. And, you know, I think they were pretty blown away at what all the riders could do. Right. It's if you've never been to a supercross, it's pretty impressive. So they were, they were super cool and they weren't huge stars yet either. Like even Channing Tatum wasn't a big deal yet. So they had no ego, no attitude and, and Channing Tatum rides to this day. So he probably would have been the same guy he was back then as well. Um, so yeah, we, you know, uh, I made a note in here. We didn't have SAG cards back then. So if we would have had SAG cards, which is Screen Actors Guild, we would have been making $700 plus a day. Uh, so we didn't get the deals like David Castillo and Rich Taylor. All those guys got way more money than we did. David Pingree too, but that's all right. We didn't, we weren't asked to do specific stunts either. So it's fine. Um, the only rider that really got into the movie per se was Tyler Evans And as many of you know, Tyler Evans has passed away. Pretty tragic deal. But going back to like 2004, Tyler was kind of on the rise. He had done pretty well in the 04 season, and he had that look, right? Um, Good looking dude, really edgy. And I think he fit the mold for what they needed to be the nemesis in that movie. So that was cool for Tyler. It was cool. I, I think we were all happy for him that he actually got a real role in the movie, even if it was a little bit absurd the way they, they made it play out. It wasn't that much of a stretch for his character and the way he raced to be that guy. So that was pretty cool thinking back on that. Um, so Monday we all get out there and the banquet's done. The series is officially done, right? Everything, every aspect of supercross is done at that point. So I'm immediately starting to think about, uh, the outdoor series and we had a weekend off, but Hangtown was right around the corner and and that was my job, right? To be ready for Hangtown. So I'm like in the gym before we have call time running and, and trying to do the things I'm supposed to do. And I, I knew we would be riding as well at the track. So that was a little bit of a kind of ease my mind, even if it was more supercross, at least I'm on my bike. So little did I know that, holy crap, do you just sit around and wait at these, on these movie, movie scenes and just waiting for setup all the time. I mean, we got there and we just sat and we sat and we sat and we were just laying under the trees on the side, like on the exit of. If you're thinking about the Supercross track in Vegas, exiting the track on the kind of the Thunder Alley lanes. Well, there used to be these trees just off off the track, and and there was grass, like a grass embankment. I just remember all of us just laying on <laughs> in the grass over there, like bored out of our mind, just waiting around. And I ended up just going back to the this our uh, our hauler the subway hauler and just chilling I'm like somebody just text me or whatever when it's time I'm bored out of my mind so I went back for a while and just was watching TV but it's like all day right and they're they're working through scenes and they're shooting a lot of the the uh, scenes with the actors where they're they're talking to each other and setting all this stuff up and there's just so much back and forth. And I've read a little bit about that where actors just, most of the time they're there, they're just waiting, right? These scenes take five minutes and you just wait all day to shoot it. That's exactly what it was for us. And this went until like two in the morning every day. So we're there from like, I think we were there from noon to 12 and then you got extra pay if you stayed and shot past that. And I think at 12, I left every time. I'm like, we're not getting extra pay because we're not SAG members. So I'm out of here. So just think about 12 hours of waiting around. It's pretty warm. There's nothing to do. It's dusty. And they didn't shoot any of the speaking scenes until it was dark because the Supercross finish was at night, right? The main event and the movie and all that stuff was at night. So they had to wait until it got dark and the lights came on and all that stuff. So just an incredible amount of of waiting, as I said. Uh, So we do that Monday. Come back. Same thing Tuesday. Um, it was a cool, cool environment and cool to watch all that. You know, I love movies and I love that whole dynamic of Hollywood scene, and and uh, it was cool to watch them make that magic, right? So Tuesday comes. Um, oh, I, I have to tell this story too. So myself, Clark Styles, and Joe Aloy are sharing a room at the Tropicana, as I said, for Monday, Tuesday. Well, Monday night, we're in our room and. No big deal. We're just sleeping, you know. Obviously, we get in super late. It's probably three in the morning, and I'm in, I'm dead asleep. And I hear Joe jumps up and yells at the top of his lungs, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "What in the world? What are you doing?" And then I hear the door slam, and I'm like, "What?" Like I'm half asleep, right? I'm, I'm not processing any of this. So Joe jumps up and runs out the door, and he comes back in, and I just sit up in the bed. I'm like, "Dude, what are you doing?" He's like, someone was in our room. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I, w- I, I woke up. This is Joe talking. He's like, I woke up with a weird feeling and I just, I saw something out of the corner of my eye. He's like, I saw a, a guy's head pop around the, the wall like the corner by the bathroom. And he's like, so I froze. Like I'm like panic, like what the hell? Well, he's like, I so I just keep watching. And he's like, I wasn't sure if I was seeing things. And then all of a sudden I see someone crawling across the floor of the room. And that's when he, that was when he jumped up and uh, yelled, well, someone had, so our room was right next to the elevator. That's where I should have started. It was the first, first room right across the hallway from the elevators. So someone had gotten into our room somehow, whether they had a fake key or who knows, come into our room and was obviously probably trying to steal wallets or whatever. Well, Joe woke up and yelled at him. This dude runs out of the room and obviously he had to have had someone holding the elevator door for him because by the time Joe jumped out, he saw the elevator door close, but just crazy. Like I I was oblivious to all this, but obviously we're lucky that, you know, our stuff gets our wallets and get stolen at, you know, at minimum who knows what this guy's intentions were, but just crazy subplot to this whole deal. But anyway, um, we film Monday, Tuesday, and I have a red eye flight back Tuesday night to go home, uh, because I wanted to get back and, and that put me back into Florida on Wednesday morning. And and I'm going to just going to be pure hot garbage on Wednesday morning when I landed after not sleeping all night. But I knew I needed to get back and ride some outdoors and continue my training to get ready for Hangtown. So I was living with, uh, the Butler brothers, who, as you know, um, Forrest Butler is the owner of the Rocky Mountain ATVMC KTM team, right? Uh, big team these days, Blake Baggett, you know, Justin Bogle, Benny Bloss. So back then, it was a really small team, and they didn't have a lot of financial support. They were just, you know, Forrest is a dreamer. He's, he created that team from nothing. So back then he was doing anything and everything he could to get publicity and grow and create value for sponsors and, you know, with the end result, wanting to be the team he is today. So I remember on Tuesday, this conversation, conversation floating around with them. And and these guys were my best friends, right? I'd spend a ton of, I spent a ton of time with them every day. We trained together, we rode together. I mean, I lived with them. They were my best friends. So I remember them on Tuesday saying, Hey, we're going to stay all week. I worked out a deal with the production company. They're going to pay us X amount more money to be here with the truck and we can help fill in gaps in these scenes. And we're going to get a ton of value because we're going to be the only riders here. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I talked to the main girl and she said the cap for everybody that didn't have a SAG card was like $1,010. Like you could not possibly make more than that to the letter of the contract. So it doesn't matter if you filmed here for the next six months, you can't make more than that. He's like, no, 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 no. I got it all dialed. They're going to pay for our food. They're going to pay for our rooms. They're going to pay us extra. They're going to do all this. I'm like, that's cool. I mean, good for you. I can't stay. I got to go home. I got to go ride. I, I have bigger fish to fry when Hangtown rolls around. So good luck to you. I got different information. We'll see what happens. So anyway, I fly home, as I said, I'm you know Thursday I'm motoing down doing 30 minute motos in the Florida Florida heat. They stayed and I think they flew back Friday night or Saturday. I remember them getting home and it was you know the first off weekend of the year. So we obviously I was looking forward to them being home and us just enjoying a weekend at home and going out and doing whatever in Gainesville. But they got home and they were just so pumped. They're just flaunting it in my face. Oh, we filmed all this and. We're getting three grand each. That was I remember them like it was yesterday. Just kept saying we're we're each, we're each getting three grand for staying. Your check's going to be a thousand. Ours is going to be three thousand. Ah ha ha ha. And I'm like I don't know, man. I the, literally the woman told me to my face, no one could get more than than X. Period. No matter what. So I'm like, all right, we'll we'll see. So anyway, um, you know, life goes on, whatever. And I remember a, <laughs> a couple weeks later, we got our checks. And they were all the same. They were all $1,010. And I laughed. I laughed probably about that for a month, making so much fun of them because they spent an extra three days. They filmed all day Wednesday. You know, like I said, you're just sitting under the trees all day, 12 to 12, Wednesday, Thursday, and part of Friday. And then they hopped on a plane and they didn't get anything, (laughs) anything for it. And it's so mean to laugh about, but I tried to tell him, you know, I, I asked the lady point blank, you know, what's the deal. And that's what she told me. So I don't know what negotiation Forrest went through and that's Forrest. Forrest is, he's really good at, you know, making the most of every situation and finding side deals. And that's how he grew his team into what it is, is always pushing the envelope to be, to grow and to be better. Uh, it didn't work out in that particular situation. So later that summer I'm racing outdoors outdoors. I think they were, I think they raced outdoors too. I can't remember what the the team looked like. Maybe they didn't race outdoors that summer, but Forrest comes to me. He's like, Hey, we're, we're taking the the hauler to California. They're going to film more at this outdoor track for the movie. And they're going to put our truck in the background and all this stuff. And like, we're not riding in it, but it's basically our hauler is going to be a big part of this scene because they need they need people to be involved and everyone's at the outdoor races so we they can't get any of that B-roll. So I'm like, I don't know. Remember how this worked out for you staying three extra days of filming in Vegas? Like I don't know if I'm really believing you're going to get anything out of this. And it's a huge cost. You have to send your your whole, se- your, it wasn't even a semi, it was basically a huge motorhome and trailer. You're going to send it all the way to California. You're going to pay someone to drive it. You're going to spend all that money on fuel. I remember back then fuel was like, three plus dollars a gallon. He's like, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. We're going to get all this value for, uh, for our sponsors. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, do what you got to do. So he sends it out there. I want to say it cost him like 10 grand round trip to pull all this off. And yeah, didn't get anything. The hauler didn't make it in the end of the part of the scene. He literally got nothing out of it and what a waste of money. But I come I'll commend Force a little bit because he was he's always that guy. He's that guy to this day. He always pushes the issue and takes big chances. A lot of times they've paid off. Look at his you know, look at his team now, right? He's he's got a, a race winning level team. But yeah, that one that one didn't work out and I, I just thought it was hilarious. I laughed and made so much fun of those guys for how that all played out because in my mind, they totally just played those guys, right? The the production company and whoever it was just totally played Forrest and got all this out of him for virtually nothing, you know. So anyway, movie comes out. It was it was pretty cool. Right, I was pumped on it. Um I'm actually on the intro like if you get the DVD to the movie and it's before you plus press, press play, I'm on that part um just on the sitting on the starting line and I'm in a bunch of the scenes as well in the background and stuff. So it's cool, just something fun. Made some money, a really cool experience. Got to meet all those the actors and actresses and stuff. Just just an experience I'll never forget. I felt like I came out ahead. I got to ride for a couple of days, spend a couple of days in Vegas. I didn't get murdered by someone breaking into our hotel room, and yeah, got out of there relatively unscathed. So um, it's crazy to look back and think there was a full. Feature you know movie made about Supercross didn't do all that well, but if you look at the cast, man, that's a star, pretty star-studded cast to be about Supercross. So, anyway, fun story, fun to, for me to reminisce about those times and see how much different my life is and all the situations were going on back then. Forrest team was there was it wasn't there wasn't much to it. You know, they were buying bikes and they didn't have any money. And you look at the team now, and it's this multi-million-dollar operation with uh, Blake Baggin and he's winning Supercrosses and they have all these great sponsors. And, you know, I work for a company Western power sports and fly racing that is a very large sponsor of that team. And we're financially invested with them and, and great partners with them. Um, I would have never in a million years thought that would be possible. So uh, kudos to that team, you know, it's kind of side note, but um just funny to see how, how much life changes and, and, directions you would have never guessed things are going to go actually happened but anyway uh that's it for this week kind of short um this is probably the shortest one i've done in a while but again i may do some updates i've been kind of considering that if if there are updates this week on this whole glendale plan because i've heard this upcoming week is the go or no go they have to have a hard decision this week And if it's go, they're going like all in. Everybody's making plans, like hard plans. Flights are getting booked, but that has to be decided this week. Um, So look for some sort of update podcast. I'm sure it'll be short, but I want to do my best to keep you guys updated with news that I can share. You know, sometimes news is confidential and and it's not the right forum. Uh, You're told things that aren't locked or set in stone yet that you can't share. That's just a part of the business. But as these things break and things become more official i'll try to walk you through the ripple effects that i'm hearing and just some of the the perplexities um that i have and just all the details that as we walk through this new i don't want to say thrown together but it seems that way it just seems like hey we have this opportunity let's do it right that's what it feels like to me how they're actually going to pull this off so again Thanks everybody for listening. I hope you, uh, hope you enjoyed the stories and as we learn more about what supercross 2020 is going to look like, I will share it. Look out for the, uh, the fly racing racer X podcast. that will come out with myself and Steve Mathis, I'm assuming tomorrow, but I thought we did a pretty good job of walking through some of those things too. And obviously you'll have Jason Wigand's perspective as the, uh, you know, Lucas Oil pro motocross announcer And then obviously Steve Mathis has his own unique perspectives too. So different opinions there. Uh, But hopefully I will talk to you this week. And thanks again. See ya.